This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. It's springtime in Chicago. Can you hear the birds? With warm spring weather comes nesting season for the city's wild bird population. And thanks to climate change, warmer temperatures are hitting Chicagoland earlier each year. A new study from the Field Museum found that some native bird species are laying eggs nearly a month earlier than they did 100 years ago. What does that mean for the city's birds going forward? Well, joining us now to discuss is John Bates. He's the lead author of the study and a curator of life sciences at the Field Museum. Hi, John. Welcome to Reset. Thanks for having me, Sasha Ann. Can you walk us through your findings? Yeah, so uh, we put together a data set, and one of the great things about museums is they have these collections that go way back, and our egg collection actually goes back to the 1880s. And egg collecting was very popular up until about the 1930s when it stopped. And so we had this, uh, we were able to put together, along with uh, data from several other natural history museums, um, the California, the Chicago Academy of Sciences and the uh, Western Foundation of Vertebrate Zoology, this data set from that period. And then two of my co-authors on the paper, uh, Chris Whalen and Bill Strasberger, had done monumental efforts to find birds in the from the 80s up to the uh, into the 2000s. And so we had these two data sets that we were able to compare mm-hmm. and contrast for, for when first eggs were laid. So are all these birds nesting about a month earlier, or does it vary by the different species? It does vary by the different species, and it didn't fit the, the patterns that we thought it might. We thought that, that, that uh, long-distance migrants might be less able to change their, their timing than others, and mm-hmm. we didn't see that pattern. And I think what it really highlights is that there's a lot of different things going on in the biology of any given species, and we just need to know a lot more about that. Were you surprised? So not really, because our data are actually consistent with, for instance, patterns of leafing out in trees and, and uh, emergence of insects. And so this is something that we've known is going on. But you know, I think the real key is that, that we've got to keep monitoring this because we don't know if there's a tipping point out that they're associated with this kind of climate change. Are all these birds that live in uh, Chicagoland year-round, or, or are migratory birds also settling down for the year earlier? Yeah, so, so we, we broke the data set. I mean, Chicago's a spectacular part of the country with respect to, to that. Their birds do lots of different things here. So you've got birds that are spending the winter down in South America. You've got birds that are spending the winter down in the southern U.S. Mm-hmm. And you've got birds that are uh, some as- some numbers of their populations are here year-round. And so we were able to include all those types of species in, in the study. And they're, they'll study area was basically the seven counties around the northeastern corner of Illinois. I see. We'll talk more, John, about the role that climate change plays here. Well, we, uh, we're we looking for, for data on climate change, and the first thing that people will usually think about in that is temperature change. And the yeah. problem with temperature is that uh, we don't have temperature records, actually, for the Chicago region or really very good records for North America at all going back before the uh, the early 1900s. And so we couldn't use uh, temperature. So what we did was we used these very clear data about CO2 that have been collected from ice cores, which go back for hundreds of years. Well, let's bring in another voice to this conversation. We've got Judy Pollack, who's president of the Chicago Audubon Society. Hi, Judy. Great to have you back. Hi, it's great to be back. Judy, what's your reaction 
first of all, to all of this, that, that all these birds are, are nesting almost a month earlier than they used to? Yeah, I, I really love this study so much. Um, you know, we've all noticed that birds are, are starting to migrate earlier. Certain birds, other birds aren't, um, and that some birds are nesting earlier and other birds aren't. And, uh, you know, I think I, like the study authors, thought that it probably had a lot to do with long-distance migrants versus short-distance migrants. You know, the birds that are in Florida sort of understand that it's getting warmer in Mm -hmm. Illinois, whereas the birds down south don't. But, you know, it's just, it's really fascinating to me that there are so many, there are probably so many different factors at play because all the different birds are having different reactions to this. Well, have you personally noticed birds getting here earlier? You know, uh, oh yeah, many. I think I think every birder uh, has noticed it. In fact, you know, it used to be like May first was when, uh, or that first week in May was when we expected like all the South American and Central American warblers to come up. But really now it's you know the end of uh, the last week in April is starting to be sort of a hot migration week. But I, uh, Chicago Audubon Society has this little thing on our Instagram Mm -hmm. where um, when the, when the birds start singing in the spring, we, uh, we get recordings of their songs and we, we put them on our Instagram so that people can keep up with the birds that are arriving and what their songs are. Yeah. And so, you know, we invite people to send us songs so that we can identify them or so that we can post them. And somebody sent me one last week and I was like, gee, that sounds like a toey, you know? And he's like, what is this? And I was like, hmm. And he was quizzing me. He knew what it was, you know? And it was, in <laughs> fact, a toey. I was very surprised, you know, that it showed up uh, that early because that's earlier than I usually see him. So, uh, yeah. But, yeah. you know, if your listeners would like to follow along with the spring, they can follow our Instagram. Oh, for sure. Um, can you describe for us, Judy, some of the birds in this study? Like, are there... Ones that people might be used to seeing in the park or in their backyards? Well, uh, yeah. Um, I'll tell you, like, one of the ones that fascinated me was actually the robin, which is a pretty common bird. But um, so much has changed with the robin. Uh, And, um, you know, the robin, it used to be a pretty rare bird until we made lawns. And then it really adapted to our lawns. And then, you know, invasive Earthworms are invasive, believe it or not. So when the earthworms invaded, that was great for the robins. And then buckthorn, which is a um, invasive shrub out in our um, out in our woods, the the robins started sticking around for the winter to eat. That. So I mean, I think that kind of demonstrates how much is going on with, and every species has its own story, you know. Uh, and a lot of those stories we don't know because we don't know them as well as the stories of the robins because they're out in our grasslands and our woodlands. Yeah, you know, we might not think of the city as home to to many birds, except pigeons, but how many species do call Chicago home? Oh, wow. Uh, You know, (laughs) okay, that's a number I don't have at the top of my head, but there are, you know, probably 350 species that have at least come through Chicago at some point or another. You know, it's probably somewhere in the 100 range of ones that actually stay here and nest for the summer, but the um, the uh, organization that I'm associated with, the BCN Bird Conservation Network, just did a survey of all those birds that nest here, and and that's I think a reason why I'm super excited about this study is to look at birds that we've seen over 20 years increasing and compare it to these birds that the um, this 
this study is showing are adapting. Yeah. And in fact, you know, as I look, like many of the birds in our um, shrublands and our woodlands that are adapting, that are coming here earlier, do seem to be doing well. So um, we're excited to sort of pursue pursue that further. The birds in our grassland don't seem to be doing so well, and that might have to do with how we're managing our grasslands. But, you know, the Chicago area, um, it, it was surprised people to know how important it is for birds. We've got our natural areas and our green spaces. Um, you know, if you compare it to the rest of the state, which yeah. is largely agricultural, we've got a lot of great bird habitat in Chicago. So it's not surprising to me that this study happened here. We've also got a lot of great people like the people who did this study. Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We are speaking with Judy Pollock of the Chicago Audubon Society and John Bates of the Field Museum. We're discussing a new study from the museum that shows birds in the Chicagoland area, they're starting to lay eggs almost a month earlier than they used to due to climate change. Uh, John, the study relied on the Field Museum's extensive collection of old bird eggs, as you mentioned. Talk to us more about that uh, that collection. You know, where, where are all these eggs coming from and what exactly are they telling you about nesting patterns? Well, that's a so historically, these egg collections were often done as as hobbies by uh, local naturalists, and uh, this was back in the 1880s to the 1920s or so. And and these guys were incredible natural historians, where they they kept very detailed notes on when they found the nest, where they found it how many eggs there were, and because of that, you can do this calculation of first egg date, uh, laying date that we used for, for calculating the advance across the 140-year time, time span in the study. And, and you know, i just like to point out that, that that's, the, that's what museums do, is we archive that kind of information so that it can be used and made accessible to researchers over and over again. And i like to point out that these guys that collected these eggs back in the 1880s had no idea that they would be used for a study like this. Oh, today. for sure. Yeah, these are amateur historians, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and you know, one of the things Judy was mentioning is there's an awful lot of opportunities for in modern day systems for people who are interested in birds to participate in gathering data like this. We have a lot of citizen science. Uh, programs that will allow people to, when they find data, to actually make that available to other people over time. How can we get access to those programs? Judy, you want to take that one? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, the, the easiest way is using eBird, which is an app which collects people's data. Uh, eBird. Okay. I don't know why. Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, but also, you know, for people who really know their birds, the BCN survey, we're always looking for new monitors. Nice. You know, and at the same time, uh, one of the things I continue to point out about this study is that, that Bill Strasberger and Chris Whalen, my co-authors on this, are, are just incredibly good at going out and finding nests, and it's not something that anybody can do. And so, you know, from my perspective, we actually can really use – a little more emphasis on some of the basic natural history parameters and getting experts out there and, and supporting researchers that are doing this kind of work. So we do get these kind of decade-long surveys such as they did. And one of the primary sites that, uh, that uh, Bill Strasberger worked was out at Morton Arboretum. He would go out every spring and find all the nests that he could for, for research that actually was not related to studying when the birds were nesting. It was actually to study brown-headed cowbird parasitism. 
Right. Yeah. So tell us more about that. I got to know what that means. Well, so brown-headed cowbirds are have evolved this incredible uh, life history strategy where the females do not build their own nests. They mate with the males and then they go around and look for other species' nests and they deposit their eggs in those nests and the cowbird chicks will almost always outcompete the um, the host birds' nests, uh, chicks, for food. And as a result, uh, that's how brown-headed cowbirds reproduce. Oh, very interesting. Well, well, Judy, give us some tips for, for Chicagoans listening right now who may just feel inspired by all of this to do some bird watching. Yeah, so just get out there. That's the main thing. There are birds everywhere. Once you sort of open up your ears and your eyes, you'll be amazed at how many birds there are. Um, there's a wonderful app that's called Merlin, and uh, that will really help any new birders to identify the birds that they're looking at. It it asks you a few basic questions and kind of narrows it down for you. Can you repeat the name of that app? Yeah, Merlin. Uh, it's a it's the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and it ties with eBird, which I talked to talked about earlier, which Perfect. allows you to record your sighting. Do we need binoculars? For this kind of thing? Yeah, binoculars, binoculars are helpful. They're not 100% necessary, but you're going to want them pretty soon because you can get a much better look at these birds. And you can just be amazed at the incredible variety that's in your local park or, um, you know, your backyard. Yeah. Well, that is Judy Pollock, president of the Chicago Audubon Society, and, and John Bates, curator of life sciences at the Field Museum. Fascinating stuff. Thank you, Judy and John. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.